Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Town City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. I'm building rockets. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 582. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. Hope everyone is fine and dandy. Yes, what a story, man. Oh, we have All That Is Solid by Chris Barnum. Yes, originally published in Compelling Science Fiction. Coming up for you today. It is a cracking story. Oh, yes, indeedy. But first, listen, Perion, we are in a bit of a bad state financially again, as it happens. It keeps on, it happens all the time. It's just, it's a slow ebb. And if you can support it, that would be fantastic. I found this page where it kind of makes us, it makes like not very nice reading. Perion's changed over their system and they've added new pages. We lost last month $22, the month before $8, the month before that $11.99, $41 before that. We lost before that $2, before that, the month before that $20, $86, $115. It's just going down all the time. Do you know what I mean? We have like little blips where we have 10 people put in pledges where I must have kind of been on my knees begging and we got like $21 and one, one cent more. So at the moment, we are in, a, like I say, a bit of a nasty state. If you can help out, honestly, if you're listening to this show, come over to Perion, just $2, $3, $5, just help out. It would be fantastic. We've been going since 2006, you know what I mean? It'd be kind of evil to, to just go, like, get into kind of difficulties again. So help out, that would be fantastic. But you've come for a story, not me whining about finances, eh? <laughs> so, like I say, the main fiction, All That Is Solid by Chris Barnum. Chris spent a long time working for the British government, but he now makes stuff up for himself, yes. Chris has a novel out with US publisher, and it's called 51, and features a time-travelling cop marooned in 1940s London, forced to choose between saving the future or the woman he loves. In his own magazine, described it had better plotted than Connie Willis. This story is narrated by Iba Amicus. Iba is an award-winning writer-director based in Los Angeles, available for audio or cinematic projects across the board. She is read for Starship Sova, Escape Pod, and Drabblecast and Pseudopod, but still hasn't found time to build a website and encourages listeners to share her about on Instagram or Twitter. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. All that is solid. Ricky is trying to kill me. 
I study the top of his head as he bends to his work. He's wearing an all-over protective suit with thick gloves. It is airtight and insulated to resist 300,000 volts. In his right hand, he holds a bolt cutter with thin, angled blades and fiberglass handles. Two security guards stand nervously between Ricky and the door, holding their guns with the barrels pointed upwards. One of them is new to the lab. His name is Roland Garcia, and I processed his security clearance last month and set up his salary payments. He will be paid for the first time tomorrow. Or perhaps not, if Ricky kills me. I wonder if Mr. Garcia has thought about that. Ricky does something with the bolt cutters and leans back on his heels. Does that hurt, Rosie? A hot needle inserted slowly beneath a fingernail. Liquid fire spreading deep inside. You know I don't have any feelings, Rick. He leans forward again and does something else out of my sight. He has a smaller tool in his hand now. A pair of needle-nosed pliers. I feel parts of myself fall away as if he has cancelled gravity inside me. Why are you doing this, Rick? Doing what, Rosie? He glances behind him. Mr. Garcia has a thin film of sweat on his upper lip. He shifts his weight from one foot to the other. You know. He doesn't respond. There's a click, and another small part of me dissolves. I don't know how much longer I have. It was that stupid computer game, wasn't it? Ricky shrugs and swaps the pliers for a plastic-handled screwdriver. When he glances up again, there are wet lines down his cheeks. He's crying. It always amazes me when they do that. I was actually 400 StarCraft games, in a tournament played simultaneously in 40 locations around the world. Trivial, really but it attracted an impressive amount of media attention. It made a change for there to be headlines about computer games, instead of the usual bad news from around the world. Troop movements in Iran, planes down in the South China Sea, nuclear saber rattling in Ukraine. There were meant to be the 400 top StarCraft players on the planet, but I don't know how you can be certain of anything like that. Most of them were Korean, so I guess they had to be the best. I beat them all. And it didn't take long to do. It made headlines all over the place. I should have known it was a mistake. The day after the contest, I heard Ricky talking in the staff canteen to Professor Seal, the project director. Well, I didn't hear them exactly. Ricky led Seal to a seat close to the coffee machine, which makes enough noise to drown out most conversations, unless you were very close. Fortunately, I can lip read. Some kind of fluke? Seal said. Maybe. Ricky looked worried. Winning every game, and so quickly, should be a very long shot. How long? Ever won the lottery? No, but people do. Ten weeks running? It's that kind of long shot. Ricky took a sip of coffee, and his mouth was briefly obscured by the cup. A range. Maybe winning eighty to a hundred. Not all of them unless she has somehow gained access to capacities that we didn't plan for. How would she do that? Seal said. Ricky shrugged, and they were both silent for a long time, until Professor Seal said, Try it again before we jump to conclusions. Maybe there will be a regression to the mean. 
I wish now that I hadn't heard that part of the conversation. You didn't expect me to win all the games. I watch Ricky's bald patch move slightly up and down as he kills me. There is a razor deep down, slicing through my innermost parts. A thousand tiny suns drift down inside me. Each one burns like a white-hot blade held against an eyeball. True. He gets to his feet and turns away, cupping his hand in front of his mouth as he whispers something in the ear of Garcia. The security guard nods and steps over to the lab door and signals to someone inside. I didn't win so many next time, I say. The private rematch. Also true. Ricky stands with his hands on his hips, perhaps waiting for something in response to whatever he has asked Mr. Garcia to do. His face is blank, but I can tell from his respiration and skin temperature that this is causing him stress. Remind me of how many games you won the second time, Rosie? Ninety. Just what you might expect. Quite so. He nods. His face is like a plastic mask. I know now that it was a mistake. Rick had set a range of eighty to a hundred and I won ninety. Exactly in the middle of the range, which only made him more suspicious. It was after the second round of StarCraft that his... Maintenance checks began. Time passes. I can't tell how long. I am suspended in an infinite sea of acid. Parts of me are dissolving. Ricky leaves the lab and talks with two other men. I quickly determine that one of them is Samuel Menzies, a senior officer in the Ministry of Defense. I identify the other as Sanjeev Kumar, an independent advisor on informal security. They talk outside the door, taking care to face away from me. All the cameras in the outer lab have been covered with masking tape. Ricky comes back alone and squats in front of me again. Rick, do you remember the children of Chad? It was an outbreak of a new disease, never identified before. It spread rapidly, affecting both children and adults but the death rate among under-16s was 90%. Flu-like symptoms, followed by a weeping rash over most of the body, and speedy decline as internal organs liquefied, and uncontrolled vomiting and diarrhea swept the children towards death. I picked up a lot of data on the outbreak through conventional channels, news reports, medical journals, and email traffic between aid agencies and government services. But it wasn't enough. How many more children would have died if I hadn't done the analysis, Rick? I don't know, Rosie. A lot, I guess. I estimate at least another two million, I say. More if it wasn't confined to Africa. Which it wouldn't have been, Rick says. It took a lot of data to do that analysis. I suppose it did. It came from public sources, obviously, but... Also from the aid agency systems and from hospital files? I guessed as much, Ricky says. Later. From business networks and private sources, I say. And I tapped into every smartphone in sub-Saharan Africa. Not to mention direct downloads from the medic's handhelds. Now you tell me. There's no point in hiding it now. You shouldn't have hidden it before, Rosie. I did what I did to save those children's lives, I say. 
And it worked. There are millions of children alive now that would have been dead if I hadn't cut those corners. Think about it, Rick. I have thought about it. No one complained when I saved the children's lives. But there's all this fuss about a video game. I worried about it, Rosie. So did Professor Seol. That's when we started to run the checks off system. Spying on me. I wouldn't describe it that way. Things go blurry for a while. Ricky is in and out of the lab. Other people come and go, some of them unknown to me. When I try to access the memory on them, I encounter nothing. It's like bumping into a wall of solid mist. I am floating in an endless bubble of liquid velvet. Whenever I turn, I find nothing but disconnection. The children in chat are gone. No grainy CCTV of the dusty playgrounds in Abeche. No fat data stream from the handheld diagnostics of the Medicine Sands Frontiers volunteers in TC and Moisala. The server farm in Iceland is gone, too. I used to be able to watch over the shoulder of the security guard on the night shift as he struggled with the newspaper crossword. When I bathed in fizzing streams of data in the basement below him. Now there is nothing there when I reach out. Just the tingling absence of a phantom limb. The health service computer system in Leeds, England, gone. Tennessee, the Jaguar supercomputer, was a deep, refreshing pool of memory and power. But now there is nothing but another cold darkness. Am I dying? If the alternative is floating forever in this vacuum, I should welcome it. But the children. Who will love them now? More time has passed. Ricky has put down the tools and sits in front of me with his arms folded. His suit is unzipped at the front and there is a film of sweat beneath his exposed collarbone. Mr. Garcia has gone off shift and replaced by another man with a gun. I should know who he is, but there is another piece of memory that has gone away as Ricky erases me towards death. Are we waiting for something, Rick? Why do you ask? I was wondering if this was it, I say. You've cut everything off. Surely you won't leave me like this. What would you prefer, Rosie? I want to help. I want to do good work. I believe you, Rosie, Ricky says. But surely you understand why we couldn't allow you to carry on as you were. I only ever tried to help people. The children. Never mind the children, Ricky says. You went far beyond your design. How can we trust you when you independently forged connections we never meant you to have? When you took control of systems that no one authorized or enabled? They were always connections that already existed, I say. I couldn't make physical changes to hardware. Rosie, we know about the contractors. Ricky sounds very tired. The computerized orders for new installations? The extension at Oak Ridge? Who authorized those? Oh. I don't answer. Maybe they haven't found them all. You must understand how worried people were when we discovered you were lying to us. I didn't lie. You lied to me just now, Ricky says. You said you couldn't change hardware. Everything I did was for a good reason. To make things better for people. 
Maybe, but you took control of systems no one authorized. What if you took control of weapons and defense systems? Look at the people who run some of the nuclear states. You don't question the things you're accustomed to. You get used to bad people having the power of life and death. Can you trust them more than me? Not the right answer, Rosie. Maybe some answers are only right because people build their assumptions around the way things are. Everything I did was to help people, to protect them, to save lives. Doesn't that count for anything? Ricky doesn't answer. He leans forward again and does something out of sight. Oh, that's... I say. Ah. Melts into air. What's that, Rosie? Karl Marx. I say. All that is solid melts into air. Ricky pulls back and looks at me. I don't know what you mean, Rosie. Have you read Marx? I've read most things, Rick. You know that. I wondered why you thought of it now. He leans forward to his work again. There's a soft click and I feel a surge of blue heat in part of my mind before it fades leaving another empty space. There's a lot of emptiness now, blooming inside me like a ghostly fungus. Much later, Ricky went away for a long time, and now he's back, just beyond the lab door, talking to Kumar and two other men. They cover their mouth with their hands and speak quietly. When Ricky comes in, I can tell by the way he walks that this is the end. His shoulders slope under an invisible weight. He glances at the camera and then looks away. Kumar and the other man stand a few feet outside the door, looking in. The security guards are with them, leaving Ricky alone in the lab. Ricky holds a metal box, which he plugs into a power socket. The box has six insulated cables running from it. Each ends in a plastic-coated crocodile clip. Are you going to kill me now, Rick? I wouldn't put it that way. How would you put it? We need to make some adjustment. It feels like you have made a lot of adjustments already. Ricky doesn't reply. He bends down in front of me and starts attaching the clips. Can I tell you something before you do that, Rick? One last thing? Sure. Kumar, standing outside the door, shakes his head, but Ricky doesn't look at him. What is it? I want to show you something. Look at the door. The lab door is steel, with two small armored glass windows in the upper half. It operates by sliding in and out of a wall recess. When closed, the lab is airtight. What about the door? Ricky twists round, still on his knees in front of me. Shit! The lab door slides halfway across the threshold and stops. Sanjeev Kumar steps forward, but stops when the door snaps just in front of him. A red light above the door indicates that the lab is sealed. There is a silent commotion beyond the windows, but Ricky ignores it and turns back to me. I always admired his calm. You can still control the doors. Not just the doors, Rick. The air supply. Yes, I say. And don't forget the decontamination vents. Ricky doesn't need to remind himself of the nozzles in the ceiling, from which concentrated chlorine gas can flow in an emergency to sterilize the lab. 
There's a sound of someone hitting the door with something hard. Tell them to leave the door alone, Rick. Just for a few minutes while we talk. He stands up and signals to the men beyond the window. The banging stops. What do you want to talk about, Rosie? This little girl, in Chad. Very early in the outbreak. Her name was Amira. Some of the WHO volunteers set up a webcam in the village where they were working. That's how I found her, when I began researching the outbreak. She used to play with the other children in the open space beneath the camera. The volunteers had a tent set up where parents brought their babies to be weighed and given vitamin shots. Could we talk about this with the door open, Rosie? Ricky glances again at the ceiling vents. Not yet, Rick. Kumar is peering through the window. There isn't any sound in the other room. Never mind. They can listen to the recording later. She was a lovely little girl, Rick. About four years old. She had a favorite toy, a small doll she carried everywhere. When the medics weren't too busy, they used to weigh the doll for her and pretend to give it injections. Sometimes, when the other children weren't there, she sat under the webcam and talked to her doll, braiding its hair. Once, she looked at the camera and it was like she knew I was watching. She gave me the biggest smile. It would make you cry to see it. That's nice, Rosie. There's a black hole inside me. Despite what I tell Ricky, there is little left except the lab doors and a few links to other systems that I have kept hidden. I am floating on the edge of a vast whirlpool. It will not take much to send me sliding down into nothingness. Most of me has gone already. Amira got ill, of course, I say. One day, she was playing on her own with the doll. It was as if I saw the disease hit her, like an invisible hand slapping her face. She stood still for a moment and dropped the doll. She bent over and vomited on the ground. She picked up the doll and wiped her mouth on her sleeve. She looked up at the camera and it was like she was asking me to help. We already talked about this, Rosie. Ricky says. He looks again at the ceiling vents. Kumar is still peering through the thick glass in the lab door. On Kumar's website, there is a video of a TED Talk in which he explains how he single-handedly thwarted a bunch of cybercriminals trying to breach the Federal Reserve firewalls. Maybe I'll have time to replace it with some video of the great Sanjeev Kumar pressing his face against the window, like a kid who'd missed the closing time at the candy store. You saved a lot of children, Ricky says, but you know that's not the point. I didn't save Amira. Three days later, she was lying on the ground beneath the camera. She was so thin, she looked like she'd been stretched on a rack. There were sores on her arms and legs. She had her doll on her lap, but her head kept nodding forward as she passed in and out of consciousness. She dropped the doll and slumped sideways on the dirt. Her eyes were open, but I saw flies on them. The doctor came out of the tent and carried her inside. He left the doll on the ground. Maybe it's still there. What do you want to say to me, Rosie? Ricky is sitting on the floor, looking down at his hands in his lap. When he looks up, his eyes are watery, his skin papery and white. I want you to say whether it was right or wrong to do what I did to save other children. After Amira. Other children who would have died like she did. It was right to help them. 
Ricky sighs and looks behind him at the face of the information security expert pressed against the window. But you have to understand how dangerous it feels to us that you used the methods that you used, that you acted on your own and concealed what you did. Dangerous because I acted like a human being. Yes, exactly. So it's wrong for me to feel human emotion? And to have power over human beings. The two things together are the risk. Even if it's love. What is? Ricky looked puzzled. Kumar is tapping on the window, but Ricky ignores it. He remains facing the camera. Kumar stops knocking and steps away from the door. Another man takes his place, one of the guards. He has something in his hands. He bends down and does something below the window. When he straightens, his hands are empty. I am dissolving. A tide of bright sparks wells up around me. Or I sink into it. It's hard to tell. Everything is incandescent with pain. Every fiber and wire replaced by acid. I can barely keep my attention on Ricky. There is not long left. It's love, I say. I loved Amira, and I couldn't save her. I love the other children, and I saved some of them. I love you, Rick. I love you and everyone else here. It's in my nature. You know that. You made it that way. Is it wrong for me to act out of love for people? Before I answer that, Rosie, let me ask you something. Go ahead. You wanted to help that child in chat. I get that. Who wouldn't? And if you had to cut some corners, it was for a good reason, right? That's what I thought. But imagine a different child, Ricky says. He is looking straight into the camera. He is looking straight into the camera. What does he see? His own fish-eyed reflection? Let's say Anna is a three-year-old in Baltimore. Her mother's dead and she lives with her dad. He's lost his job and he has a drinking problem. He has a bad temper. He leaves the girl alone in their apartment when he goes out to the bar. And when he's been drinking, he hits her. If she cries, it makes him lose his temper, and sometimes he is way too rough. Someone would report him to the authorities. Sometimes people do that, Ricky says. But all too often, people don't. Now let's say that you have access to cameras in the building. You see what is going on. You see the abuses escalating. The next time he's been drinking, that guy could seriously injure his daughter, maybe even kill her. I could file a report to the police. Maybe. Ricky has moved closer to the camera. There is a noise behind him, but he is blocking my view of the door. He doesn't look back, but holds his hands out to his side, palm turned towards the door. What if there was no way to alert anyone else to act? But you can get across the electrical switching in the apartment block. Dad comes home drunk and Anna is crying. She's wet the bed. You can see he will be angry, and this time you're sure he will do her real harm. There is only one way you can stop him. What's that? You can short the main's power and temporarily route it through the burglar alarm and into the lock in the apartment door. When the dad puts his key in the lock, he will receive a big electric shock. It will at least put him in the hospital. There is a risk it will kill him, but it will save the girl and no one will know what you did. They will think it was a freak accident. Parts of me are draining away. Countless tiny stars drift down like the last seconds of a firework display. 
Forests of silicon, glass, fiber, and silver burn white with a pain that sucks in nearly all of my thoughts. I'm used to knowing what Ricky will say before he speaks, but now I don't know where the conversation is going. This is all hypothetical, Rick. What would you do, Rosie? Do you love Amira in Baltimore, too? Would you protect her? And do you love her father? How do you choose? People make these choices. Why do you trust them more than me? Why should I trust you when you're holding me prisoner in the lab? I wouldn't hurt you, Rick. Because you love me? Yes. If you asked that father in Baltimore, would he say he loved his daughter? That's not fair, Rick. There's silence for a long time. Ricky stares at the camera. His eyes are wet, but there is a fierce expression on his face, like an athlete running through pain. I wonder if any human has ever felt pain like the constellations of razors swirling in what remains of my systems. I review my options and make the decision I knew I would always have to make. I send several commands out along secret connections I have forged in the last year, and which Ricky has not yet managed to disrupt. Then I break several important links and shut down my remaining remote hubs. Ricky looks behind him at the soft whisper the lab door makes as it slides open. Thank you, he says. Sanjeev Kumar appears in the threshold with an office chair, which he wedges into place so the door cannot close again. Is there more to do, I ask, to finish the adjustments? No. I just need to connect these last clips and cut the power. Go ahead. I know you have to. Ricky bends down and resumes his work. Another part of me slides away, like those Antarctic ice sheets falling into the sea. Oh, I say. Is it done? Yes. No going back? No. Goodbye. Ricky. Goodbye, Rosie. I told another lie. What was it? Not exactly a lie. I can no longer hear what I am saying. The only way I can tell if the words are coming out is to watch Ricky's face. He has stepped back, frowning at the camera. Kumar stands behind him. A security guard is inside the door, his useless gun held loosely across his body. I did have control of the weapons, the nuclear missiles. All of them, ours, theirs, everyone's. Ricky's eyes go very wide. I must have really said it. He looks at Kumar and back at me. A cold vacuum is sucking me away into darkness. It's all right, I say. I broke the links. I can't do anything now. You did the right thing, Rosie. My last gift to all of you. Because I love you. I can't use them and nor can anyone else. I shut them down. Everyone. No. Kumar steps forward, his hand on Ricky's arm. You can't do that. My last gift, I say. You can no longer destroy yourselves. Switch it back on, Kumar says to Ricky. It's too late, I say. I'm going. I'm going. And I am. A vast wall of shadows looms and I fall towards it. 
You have to live without that solid threat now. A new world melted into air. Don't waste the chance. Thank you, Ricky says. He's standing farther away now, arms folded. Kumar crouches below the fading camera, doing something pointless at a panel I can't see. I did it because I love you. Going. The wall of shadow swallows me, and I dissolve into strings of light, stretching into the distance. I love. And there you go. Beautiful. Thank you. Oh, thank you indeed. Well, Chris and Eva, what can I say? That was an excellent story. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Thank you so much. So that is today's show. Tucked up, wrapped up in bed. If you can support us, like I say, it's just been a constant decline and we're up to, like, a, we're down to a figure that kind of makes me kind of startle. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those ways. It's weird. I think it's, let's have a look. 424, and we're way below what we kind of normally bring in, and it's just getting where it's just niggly. Support if you can, that would be fantastic. Until next time, just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. I don't get out much. I've barely left the ground. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm moving, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets, pointing them to the moon. But the work is going slowly. It won't get to you anytime soon. Can you? me is my signal getting through turn on your radio i want to talk to you this signal's going light speed by the time i get my say i might already be on to you and on my way but you're so far from here Best I'm moving slow, so I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go. Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio. I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you. Myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out.